Hey, can you guys just say thank you to John? Love you, brother. Love that guy. Um, so tonight, uh, you're actually not going to be hearing from me. You're going to be hearing from another guy. Uh, and I want to give you a couple of reasons why that's a good thing, why somebody else steps in to preach every now and again is a good thing. One, uh, just for you guys out in the crowd, um, for those of you who come to Crosspoint pretty regularly, it's a good thing to hear from a different voice, right? Um, I am just one perspective, and the way that I speak, the way that I communicate, the things that I emphasize are colored through me, right? Uh, we, we as Christians believe the same core truths, but we express them in different ways, and it's good for you to hear just from different teachers who are faithful to God and who want to see his work in your life. So that's one thing. It's good for you. It's also good for me. Uh, this is going to afford me the opportunity to step back and pray specifically for you guys and for everything going on here and just get some work done that I need to do. So it's a gift to me. Um, but tonight I'm excited for you guys because Jamal is going to become preach. Um, Jamal is a brother who many of you, do, you know uh, and many of you don't, so I just want to tell you a little bit about him. I've gotten to know Jamal a little bit more over the past semester, um, and he's just a faithful brother. Uh, some, some basic details on Jamal. Uh, cool, fun fact. This guy has jumped 26 feet in the long jump. And then 53 feet in the, in the, the triple jump. I'm the most unathletic person, so I'm trying to, like, remember all these facts and express them correctly. But in 2014, he doesn't, he doesn't like, brag about this, so I had to do it for him. He didn't ask me. He's probably, like, blushing right now. Um, 2014... Uh, he was an All-American, and he was ranked 13th in the nation. That's collegiately as well as professionally. So this guy has some skills the Lord has given him. But the favorite thing that for, about Jamal for me is what I've seen in his character. Um, this guy came to know the Lord in 2010. Here, oh, wait, no, 2013. 12. So many numbers, you know, just 26, 53. Oh, my gosh, you forgot your salvation year. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, he, came to, he came to know the Lord while he was a student here. Uh, and he just, I, there's just a quick turn to, okay, what is the Lord calling me to do? How can I be a faithful servant? And this guy was serving in schools here around town, meeting kids, sharing the gospel with him, sharing the love of Jesus with him before he was ever had a position at a church doing what he's doing now. Um, and so I just see the character of Jesus in him, and I'm excited for him to share the word of God with us tonight. You guys, welcome Jamal with me. I hate that he just shared all that. Honestly, but then I got to thinking about it as I was back there and John was leading worship. Um, man, just a reminder. Um, I don't know what you're good at. Um, I don't know what is your thing. Uh, but I do know that God can use you. Um, I think that's the first, just something simple. Um, God can use you in whatever you're good at. Um, I had no idea that I would be doing this. Uh, and I'm just super thankful um, that God would find it this way to use me. But I just want to encourage you tonight that you um, have it in you already. Uh, that God wants to use you and he can use you and he will use you if you let them. Um, and so just that, yeah. Um, something, yeah, like Roman said. Uh, so I, my title here is junior high director. Um, I know a lot of people are like junior high, like crazy. They're my favorite people. Like hands down, my favorite people. Um, 
easy to talk to. Uh, you'd be surprised. They're re actually really easy to talk to. Um, it takes a lot of patience to listen to them, but they're easy to talk to. Um, man, they're just goofy. Like, they're crazy. They, they say the craziest things. They do the craziest things. They have the craziest issues. Um, and so part of what um, I, I'm just confident in if, is that God has called me to love junior high kids. Um, and so that's something I take a, a ton of pride in. A um, couple reasons why. Uh, and it, it'll kind of explain where, where I'm going tonight. But like I said, they say the craziest things. Um, so we're sitting at, uh, we, have, we used to do this thing on Saturday mornings called, um, I forgot what we called it. Oh, my God. Reach. Yes, we called it Reach. Um, and so Sunday morning, it's kind of like Bible study. Uh, and so we were walking through Mark. Maybe it was, I know it was actually Mark. And Jesus gets to doing some really cool things. He starts doing some miracles. Um, and then he gets to kind of saying some things that you're like, what the heck is Jesus talking about? And so I just asked him one question, and I was like, how would you describe Jesus uh, and the things that he's doing uh, and the things that he's saying? And one kid said, uh, Jesus has, not magical, he said mystical powers. And I thought, what does that mean? <laughs> mystical powers. Okay, that's how you see it. Cool. Then I said, okay, well, what about how he's saying things? And literally, um, I want to say he, like, said this before. It's actually even cool. Because I feel like it's ten times cooler now, but he said, man, Jesus is a savage. And I was like, he actually kind of is. Um, and he, do, he does, he, he just kind of goes against the grain, does what he wants to, says things that normal people wouldn't be able to say. And you're like, dang, savage, uh, hashtag, um, right? And so it's really cool um, because when I look at what I'm, I'm getting to talk about, um, you actually kind of see Jesus is actually a savage. Um, he's straight, he's straight savage-like. Um, he's going to, to do some things that you're like, wow. Um, and so we're going to be in Mark. Um, I'm just going to keep flowing through what Roman's been doing this semester. Um, and so if you, you can turn there, you can turn to Mark 11, 27. So we're at this point where um, Jesus is getting ready to have this uh, major conversation. And I say major conversation because it's like eye-opening to a, a lot of things. It was super eye-opening as I got to just reading and studying it. Um, but before that, just a little bit. Um, so Roman kind of talked about previously last week uh, what Jesus does. And so we, he talked about cursing the fig tree and cleansing the temple. Um, so we know that Jesus has already come in contact with these people. And from there, uh, they, what they say is, uh, verse 11, 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and when they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all of the crowd was astonished at his teaching, and when, everything, when evening came, they went out of the city. So we, we flip the, the page, and we find them at this place again, where they are in front of Jesus. Um, they're back at the temple, uh, and so I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, 27, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, Savage, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, 
he will say, I'm sorry, and they discuss it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, savage, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Um, so like I said, Jesus kind of just goes and just does what he wants to do. Like, these men, they go in front of him and they say, they ask him this question. Instead of Jesus giving them an answer, just think about your teacher. Uh, you're in class and she asks, or let's even like, let's take another step further. Mom, take out that trash. You, why don't you take out the trash? Like, you, you're looking and you're like, okay, what have you gotten yourself into? I know what my mom, I call my mom Pam Pam. Um, but mom's crazy. Uh, and so I know what would have happened if I would have kind of, instead of just not giving a simple answer, I would have given something else, uh, a question. My mom would have knocked all the question out of me. Um, but Jesus asked them, as they asked him a question, Jesus asked them a question. Um, and so I think there's two people, types of people in the world. Uh, I don't even want to ask. I'm just going to, I'll just go with it. I think there's people who enjoy confrontation, and there's people who don't enjoy it at all. Um, and I was even going to joke about and, like, come up here and be like, I'm not a confrontational person. Like, I don't like conflict. But then I know all of my friends would be like, you're such a liar. Um, you really do like conflict because that is true. I don't kind of, I don't mind conflict. I don't mind um, saying things uh, that I actually went into this year talking about hashtag savage life. Um, and so that's not something that's, that's not hard for me. Like, I'm not going to flee away from uh, a confrontation. I'm not going to stop and, like, well, and I know some people are like that in here. Um, and I think, like, there's, there's two people, the ones that don't like it and the ones that are probably like it a little bit too much. And so um, I do think you can be a little bit both, but I think you fall on one side. Uh, and so Jesus, uh, what we see countless times in the gospel we see these, these conversations and these situations that obviously are controversial, right? You got one side looking at Jesus and like, what is he doing? Like, what the heck? And you got Jesus who's like, I'm doing this regardless of what you say. And they, they get into these conversations and they get to talking and different things. And you see Jesus, like I said, just go and he does things differently, um, I don't think Jesus was afraid to confront people um, at all by the way that he did things and the way that he said things. Um, I do think that some of these people, uh, the religious uh, elite is what I've been calling them, but the chief priests, the scribes, I think they think they're confrontational, but I don't think they really are. I think they actually don't like this. Um, but here we see that they are kind of like, I feel like they're almost fed up what Jesus has been doing. Jesus comes in, he pretty much tells them, like, what you have done to the temple is wrong. And so they're going and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, we, no. But, and so they finally find themselves with just enough courage to get in front of Jesus and be like, by whose authority are you doing this stuff? Where did this come from? And then Jesus says, well, let me, <laughs> here we go. And so it is very interesting to me um, the way that Jesus kind of works. Um, he doesn't remove himself out of the situation. 
Um, instead, he, he literally stands in the middle of it, and he, he just stands, and he does what he does best, all right? And so when, I'm getting, when I got to thinking about this, I love um, my favorite show right now on TV is How to Get Away with Murder. Um, I love it. Like Thursday, I don't get to be there on Thursday when it comes on, but I have it recorded, and like I'm watching the show before the night's over. Uh, I don't know if y'all know about that show, but what it is is there's this uh, lady who she's a professor, a law professor. She has this group of students, and the, the, all of the seasons, pretty much it's how to, way, how to get away with murder. And so she's, she knows all the ins and outs of, of the courtroom and different things like that. Um, and so you really get to see a lot, like the show's either in classrooms or it's them like killing somebody and getting away with murder, uh, or it's just in the courtroom. And so it's very interesting. Um, but what I love about it is actually the courtroom part. And that's what, what, in my mind, what I think about, is this is like a courtroom. So I, I see uh, there is, there's this jury that's around this conversation. They're watching. They're trying to decide what is right, or what, what is, what, who is right, and um, who's saying the right things, and where are these questions coming from. I believe that they're just kind of watching it. Um, and then you see the, uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and they're like... The, the prosecution, and they are so ready to prosecute Jesus for some crime. We know that. It says that they are seeking a way to destroy him. And so we know that they are, like, legit. Like, we're, we're trying to, like, we're going to put him on a stand, on the stand, like, under oath, everything. Like, he's on the stand. We're going to ask him this question. And then you get to see Jesus almost like he says, I'm, all right, cool, I'm going on the stand. But he gets to also play, he, he gets to defend himself also. So it's that's what I, I think about in my mind as is this courtroom scene. Um, you got these three people, the jury, the prosecution, and the defendant, and he is, it, what's going to happen um, is very interesting. I don't think it's that Jesus, they just asked Jesus a question, and he asked them a question in return, and then they don't answer the way he wants them to, so then he doesn't answer. But I think more than that, more than anything, Jesus' question that he asked them has everything to do with this whole entire chapter. Um, and so he says, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. So he only, asks, he only says, I'm going to ask you one question, and, but he demands them to answer him twice. And they don't do it. Um, I feel like Jesus is the best lawyer ever. He has to be. Like, if, if you put Jesus in our world, like, Jesus would have graduate. I don't know what the great, like, the, the best law school is um, in our country, but Jesus would have been top of his class, hands down. Hands down. Here's a couple things that make a great lawyer. They have great communication skills. They, they have a, just a high sense of ability to listen but also analyze during that. And they ask the right questions. Um, but most importantly, a great lawyer will ask a question, and it will make it will show you a loophole in the other person's question. Uh, and so, in this show that I'm watching, like it's almost like you're like, "Dang, they just got you!" Like, there's no way you're getting away with this. And then they ask a question, and like every you you literally sit back, and like the crowd is like, oh. and you're like, they get away with it. You're like, what? How the heck did that happen? And the prosecution is sitting there, like just stumped, like. Dang it, we thought we had them. Uh, that's what I think about when Jesus asks this question. 
is they thought they, it's almost like they thought they had him. Like they thought they ought to had him right in the middle of that. And then he asked this question, and from there, he opens up the door to realize that there's a couple holes in their question. I'm going to read verse 31 and 32 after Jesus asked the question. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then you, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. I think the first part that Jesus makes them do by asking them the right question is he has to make them, he makes them discuss it. Isn't that interesting that they went to him to ask a question, and now they find themselves having to discuss the answer? Like, that's crazy to me. Like, when I think about going into a a room or a situation that's confrontational, and I'm the one that wants the conflict, and I started it, they go into it, and they have the question to ask, and then from there, they end up having to discuss how they're going to answer it. I don't know, just, it, it... I don't know why. I, was call, I called Roman last night. I was like, why do you think that happens? And we kind of talked about it. And then you get to this part, 32. But shall we say from man, from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was a prophet. I think the second loophole that Jesus opens up is that they were afraid of the people. And so you have these men who have been given a certain authority to be to lead these people, to represent the people, these people. They also are, they are what some would say are the, um, they are the right people in God's eyes. And it says that they were afraid of the people. To me, that answer, the fact that they decide to do that, lets us know that there's a, there's a different motive behind them asking that question. And so now what we see is their real motives, Jesus, by asking the right question, he has just opened up the door to their motives. Like, in the middle of confrontation, he's just like, boom, question, and you're like, dang it, I don't know what I, oh, crap. Uh, wait, why did I come in here and have this issue? It's like, oh, I have the wrong motive. Their motive wasn't, I don't think it was actually to question Jesus' authority and challenge him in that. I think it's simple. Their challenge, their reasoning, their motive was because they were afraid of what the people would think. And so what I, this hit me as I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh. I have so many tendencies like that, where the things I do, the questions I ask, the way I answer, um, it's because I'm afraid to lose the people. It's a, I'm afraid to lose my friends. I'm afraid of what this person's going to think about me or what that person's going to think about me. I remember calling my mom, and like we were talking about what I was going to do before I graduated, and I told her I felt like this is what God was doing. And she was like, are you sure? And I was just like, ah, actually, I'm not now. Because I was afraid to lose that for my parents. I mean, there's so many situations that I've been in just recently where I have walked in and 
days throughout the week where I'm just confident. I'm like, all right, this is what God has for me. I'm walking towards it. And I stop and I make a, a pit stop and I ask a question and, and I get to talking and I get to discussing with somebody else. And then they kind of throw me for a loop. And then I'm like, ah, what a, I'm not sure that's. And I just realized when I read this, it's not because of anything but my fear of losing what they think, their idea of me, or what they might say about me or the way that they're going to see me. It, thankfully, I've learned that as I stand up here on stage, and there's a lot of faces looking at me. And some of y'all have, like, odd faces, and some of y'all smile, and some of y'all just look at it like, like, what? What? Thankfully, God had taught me to stop being afraid of the people. Um, and so I know that there's people in this room that struggle with that. And I think what it does is clear, when you are walking in people-pleasing, you're only walking in fear. It, it doesn't do anything that's going to be beneficial to you. It's actually going to stop the very thing that is benefiting you. And so for the people in here who are pleasing people, I don't know why you're doing it. I know it's hard, but can I just tell you, you don't have to anymore. You don't have to. Um, I think what it does is it, it like I said, it, it reveals your motives. Just like Jesus asked that question, it revealed their true motives. And so I have to think to myself, I have to ask myself the question, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because this is what God has called me to do and this is what I'm confident in? Or am I doing this because I want friends? And I want the right thing. I want the right people to look at me and say, well done and, and good job. Or am I just doing this because? So do not. People pleasing literally, I think, is from a place of fear, not of security and genuineness. That's what I think I like about this whole entire, this passage, um, is his authority is being challenged, and he realizes that, and he doesn't shy away from it. He's not worried about the jury that's around him, the people that are watching. He, he knows, like he stands his ground, and he asks him a question. He says, by what authority was John? If you go back to Mark 3, he knew from then, um, by Mark's gospel, that they were already seeking to destroy him. So Jesus already knows their motives. He actually already knows their heart. And he knows that by their answer that everything is going to change. But instead, they don't give one. Like I said, they were afraid. So they, said that, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And then Jesus gets to acting like a savage again. And he says, cool. Well, I'm not going to tell you either. Like, she thought, I, I told you to do two things. I said, I'm going to ask you a question, and I expect an answer. And he, said, he didn't give them, they thought they gave him a good answer, and they said, we do not know. And so he said, oh, you thought I was going to tell you? <laughs> like, he legit says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things by. And then we get to the next part. And I fully believe that Jesus looked over at the people, it was kind of like this. Jesus was like, well, 
I'm not, neither am I going to tell you. And he looked at me and he said, watch this. I'm getting ready to show you. And so you get to Mark 12, and you have the parable of the tenants. I was really excited about that part. I'm not going to lie. Um, so I'm just going to read it, and then I just want to pause real quick. And it begins speaking to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and he dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and to him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him, and they threw away, threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. I just want to stop there. Um, I got to thinking about it, and I think there's two ways to receive this parable. I think there's a, um, a mental level, and I think there's a heart level. And so what I want to do real quick um, and I, I'm just going to give you a minute. Just stop and pray and ask that the Spirit would open up your eyes and your heart to receive this, not at just a mind level, but at a heart level. I can't do that for you. I can help you understand it mentally and at, at your mind, but I cannot help you understand it here. And so just take 60 seconds, pray for that, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll just jump on. God, I just come to you right now, and I thank you that your spirit is in this place. Spirit, I ask that you would move now. God, we don't want to hear this just at a mind level. We don't want to just understand it mentally and have the knowledge of this parable. But God, would you speak this parable into our hearts? God, we trust and we know and we believe that it, that can only happen by your spirit. So would you, would you bless us with your spirit right now? Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Cool. So there's just a couple things that's going on. You got the man, and he plants a vineyard, and then he leases it out to these tenants. And then from there, he sends the servants to get some fruit, and they kill him, and they send him off. And then they kind of just go down this level thing. Then he says, I'm going to finally kill my son. And then from there, they beat him, they throw him out the vineyard. And then he's like, well, I'm going to come do this. What else am I going to do? Um, there is so much in this parable. I got to thinking about it today. And um, I feel like I could, like, you could preach, like, Roman, you could literally spend, like, a month. That would be short to me, just talking about each individual thing, a man. Like, you could spend a whole month about a man and a whole month about the tenant and the servant and then the son. Like, literally, I was thinking, I was like, oh, 
so much into it. What am I supposed to say? But I do believe that God has given me two points to drive home. Um, the Bible talks about this vineyard in so many different ways. Like, I think it, in a, lot, a ton of ways, you, you see it in the Old Testament where um, it, it's literally just the, the God's chosen people. It's his people. It's his, it's his place of being. And so we can go as far as back to being like, man, Genesis in the garden. And then we, can, we just know it, like, represents the people. Um, but then we also understand, even in the Old Testament, that it, it represents um, just the, the good in Israel, but also the bad in Israel. Um, and then you even get so uh, far down that there's blessing and then restoration. And then you jump into, there's this one book, and it always talks about sex. And so you're like, dang, Jesus even. I mean, God even was like, the vineyard represents sex. So you're like, my gosh. I, that's the first time I ever said sex on stage. This is what happens when you, I'm pointing to you because you would know, like students. Sorry, Emily. Um, that just, that feels weird. Sex. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> yeah, and so even uh, just knowing that this also kind of represents, it has a chance of an opportunity to represent judgment. Um, and so... I'm just going to, <laughs> okay, come on junior high kids, come on junior high kids, focus, um, and so yeah, so now we, we, he, he decides to talk about this parable, um, When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from the, some of the, to get from some of them fruit of the vineyard. And then let's jump down real quick to nine. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others? I do think this is a parable about God's judgment. Um, I think it's a parable about a, a parable about rejection. Um, him sending the, the servants who then who actually in the story represent the prophets it was a warning think about it think about everything you know about the Old Testament every time a prophet came it was to do what it was to warn the people to call hey you're going down the wrong path turn around repent, come back. You had, they, they decided to, false idols. And he says, stop serving those. I'm the one true God from serving me. So you know, it's a warning. Um, and this is where it gets really interesting because to me, this is the biggest connection point of what the, the conversation that he's had before. He sends these servants to get something back. And from there, you see them just beat a guy and send him empty-handed. Then they strike one on the head and treat him shamefully, which it was like horrible in this time to be shamed. He sends another and they killed him. And then they, some they beat and some they killed. And they finally get to this place where they, they killed 
the son. We know the son represents Jesus. And they kill him. But not only do they kill him, it says that they killed him and threw him out. Threw him out. That means like, he says that there was a fence there. So they like killed him and threw him out. Like straight up. Saw him coming. I was like, that's him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill him. And then we're going to throw him out. This is like, it's the hardest part of this to hear. This is why I asked you to pray. Because every time they reject the servant, ultimately what they're doing is they're rejecting God. I think that's why Jesus decides to talk about this parable and this after he tells them that he's not going to tell them what authority he does with. Every prophet that God sends, every time they rejected him. And by doing that, they actually reject God himself. Therefore, when Jesus asked a question to these people, he says, well, by what authority was, tell me one thing, what authority was John, his baptism? Was it from heaven or was it from man? And I think Jesus knows that they've already rejected John, but John was sent by God. And it says that the people considered him a prophet, a sent one, to come and warn the people. He, he came and he literally was paving the way for the son to come. And they reject him. Therefore, by rejecting him, they reject the son of God. Therefore, by rejecting the son of God, they reject God himself. This is where, like, Jesus' law skills just come into, like, play. Where he's like, yep, well, I'm going to ask one question. And then that we find their, their actual answer. They have rejected the Son of God. And they don't even see that yet. They don't see that their rejecting of Jesus and his authority is actually rejecting God's authority. And Jesus knows that. He holds all the authority from God. And so it's clear that God's authority will always trump man's authority. And we see that just come like crazy with this one question. I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. I think it's really hard to hear that. Um, For them, and then I think about the people that I know um, themselves right now are rejecting God. I don't think it's hard just because of the warning, and we do know that judgment is going to come. What's heartbreaking about it um, is that when you reject God, the things that God, who, who God is, when you direct all of that, what you're now doing is you're also rejecting the things of God like forgiveness and love and grace and his kindness. Because that was what was really wrapped up in his warning were those things, his call to repent. Like when you do that, when you reject God, when people reject God, 
that's actually what they're rejecting. Not just God himself, but everything that is God. So I don't know what is going on in your situation. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know where your walk is. But I just want to tell you, when you reject God, you're not just rejecting him and his being, but you're rejecting everything that he has for you. I think there's a lot of things we haven't even grasped, like a lot of us in this room, we haven't even got to taste and see yet. But when we reject that, we don't actually ever get to see it. He has a lot of forgiveness for some of you. But you've rejected the thing that is in front of you to allow you to get to the forgiveness. There's a lot of security. But you can't get there because you're rejecting it. Some of you are getting ready to graduate. And you can't see God's provision because you're rejecting the very thing that's in front of you. They, that's what they did. They rejected. God sent them. God sent them. He sent John. He sent Jesus. And they rejected. Therefore, they don't get to be a part of the next thing. It's interesting um, that the, what happens in the rejection, it isn't that they just decide at one moment to reject them. Like you see this like, this kind of growth pattern. Um, and the only way that I could, like it makes sense in my head is what I see is just a lot of pride and entitlement. Um, it says that they leased, he leased it to the tenants. That means it wasn't theirs. Um, and he asked them to, to do something with it, obviously, because he, he came back to, he expected to get some fruit out of it. And they took him and they beat him. Um, so they realized that. They realized the first part of it is that it was his at first, and then um, from there he came back. Um, but what he does is, uh, as he sends this prophet, they, they beat him. I think their pride got in the way and their entitlement of, wait a minute, I, this is mine. Like, I worked for this fruit. Like, why is this man coming back to get it? It's mine. So they, they beat him, and they send him back with nothing. He, and he says, I'm going to send another one. And then they strike him on the head. Then another one, and they kill him. And they keep doing it. They, they beat, and then they kill. And they finally get to Jesus, and they kill him. Just, just to throw this out there real quick. Y'all know Jesus hasn't died yet. But he's talking about his death. He knows what is going to happen. And he's like telling them that, but they're still, they, as he stands in front of them saying that, there's still rejection. There's still entitlement because they know that he's also coming to get what is not, what's his, the, the, the father, not just the man. He wasn't just the servant of the man. He was the son of the man who made it. So he knows that that's what he's coming to get. And their entitlement says, no, well, we know who he is. We know what he is going to gain from this. So let's kill him. I, pride and entitlement. I think it's the worst thing. I think, I've, if anything, our generation is the worst at it. 
they're so entitled. Literally, you think about everything that we have, and we like to claim that it's ours. And it's never been ours in the first place. It was given to us to do something with it, but not to take it. Um, and so it's clear to, the, to Jesus as he's teaching this parable, and I think it's very clear to me, and hopefully it becomes more clear to you, that nothing you own is yours. But there is something at work that wants to cause us to be prideful over that and entitled to take what is not ours. And what that happens is it leads to them beating and killing and shaming all the way to the point of killing Jesus, the son. And so can I just tell you, can I just warn you, where your pride and your entitlement is going to lead you is nowhere good. You deciding to own something that is not yours is not going to lead to you what you actually think it is. It's a lie. It's a lie. And hidden in the lie is rejecting everything that God has given to you. Just ask, like, man, how hard is it to just come into the Father? Like, it has, like, I just, I can't think about it. Like, it kind of hurts to think about standing really just right now and thinking about everything that I've been given and thinking about, like, literally like, the material things and being like, that's mine. Like, I earned that. I work for that. That's mine. And then I also think about, like, things like, which is why I hate talking about it. Um, I don't really like talking about my success in sports. Because there was a time where I did. Like, it was me. It wasn't a blessing. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh. Like, there was no praise. Look what the, like, we were talking uh, Philippians. I can do all things through Christ. Like, I was like every other athlete that said that. And like that I can do. It was literally me, what I did. I remember those times very clearly thinking about what I had done and I earned it. Like I did that. And so like it literally like I feel like I can't, like I hate even thinking about that. Because in the story, their entitlement led to like the worst thing imaginable, killing Jesus. I don't think that, like I said, my entitlement, well, I know that my entitlement isn't going to kill Jesus again. But I, I think what it is going to do, if, I, if we continue a path of entitlement, this generation continues. One is we're going to make more entitled people. Um, and we're going to start raising people who thinks what is not theirs is theirs. That's scary to think about. If this is what happens to them, it's scary to think about. So lay your entitlement and your pride down. Like, it's, it, it, you can do that in front of Jesus. You can do that when you come in here Sunday. You can do that wherever you are, in your room. You can lay it down. Wake up every morning and lay it down. Speak that over your life and say that this is not mine. I don't own this day. I don't own me going to school. I don't own that. That's not mine. 
I don't own that girl, that guy that you're thinking about right now. I don't own any of it. And this is where I just get excited after just like talking about that. Because I also, I thought this, this is a parable about rejection and judgment. More than anything, I, what I see in this, this is a parable about an invitation. This man comes and he plants a vineyard and he puts a fence around it and he puts everything in it to make fruit. And we know that that's what it is supposed to do. And he leased it to the tenants. I, I found out a couple weeks ago, I, I, had a, I got in a situation where I needed a car. Um, God just came and did some really, really cool things. And I, walked, I drove a car off the lot. It was a 2016 um, Ford Fusion, literally 12.2 miles on it. Um, I have no credit. Uh, I have no money. Um, I have no, like, I, I shouldn't have gotten that car. Uh, somehow, I got it, though. Um, and then I'm talking, it's, it'll be a year. Today's the 26th, right? Two days, it'll be a year um, that I've, I've had this car. And I'm in the office a couple last week, and Somebody says, I'm talking about, like, oh, my God, I've had this car a year. And they're like, oh, well, how are you doing? Like, what's your mileage like? And I was like, why are you asking that question? And she's like, well, you know, like, when you lease a car, like, you have to, like, one, you're paying on it for a certain amount of time. But also you have to keep it under a certain mileage. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, what happens if you go over? They're like, well, you have to pay for it. I was like, are you kidding me? Why didn't nobody tell me this in the first place? That's when I realized that my car is really not mine. <laughs> like, I called her, her name is Tasha. Tasha is not mine. Tasha is not mine. Now, Tina, two years ago, Tina was mine because I paid for it in cash. I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to sign a lease. There was no, like, I'm agreeing to these terms and paying for it this month. I didn't, nope. Tina came, pocket. Cool. I realized that, I was like, oh, my God, I've been claiming, I'm walking around, be like, you know, my car, da, 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 da. my car got me here, and I get to look at my car, she got really good heater, and all of these things, she looked real good, she would look real good with black rims. Then I realized the car ain't even mine. <laughs> I can't do nothing to it. Actually, I have to keep it, right, so now I have to figure out how to, in this next year, how do I get, I have to make up 5,000 miles. Or in a couple months, I'm going to have to start paying. Like, what? Kidding me? The man leased it to the tenants, and then he left. And in the season, he sent a servant to the tenants to get some of the fruit. Big thing is he just leased it. It's not theirs. Like, it was his. And so we know right there that by him leasing it to the tenants, it was him, then at that point, him deciding, I want to invite these people in to be a part of something that I've created. Not to have it, to be a part of it. And then he realized some things get into the way of that. And so he sends a person, a servant, and then he sends another one. And they reject him, and they bring him back with nothing. And he sends another one, and then he sends Jesus. Every time he sent the servant... Behind it, he was actually sending an invitation. Every time they reject the servant, they rejected the invitation to be a part of what God was doing. That is like huge. 
Because Jesus isn't, God isn't, this man, God isn't sending, he didn't send the prophets, he didn't send Jesus um, just because. But he sent it with it because there was, there, he saw a need for grace. That's what it actually looks like for the grace of, hand to move, grace of God to move. Is he sends things into our lives. He sends people into your lives. Just like he did, he sent prophets and he, he sent the, the son of God. And it was nothing but an invitation to come back and be a part. Crazy that as they get worse and worse at what's beating and killing, God stays the same in sending. Like they get worse, he stays the same. You get worse, he stays the same. He is still inviting you. I don't, like, it's clear. It's clear to me. That's the, the very thing that I can stand up here and say that it's clear to me is that God is still inviting you today to be a part of what this man has created, planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. He is still inviting you to be a part of that. And he knows, just like he knew, he knew that these people were doing the very thing, killing and beating and shaming and throwing out. He, he knew that. And he still sends them. He knows what you have done. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you, he knows what you said. He knows it all. And he stays the same in the middle of it. And he says, I'm going to send another one. I'm going to send another invitation. I'm going to send my hand again. I'm going to send one more person to you. I'm going to send another situation, another crappy situation, another breakup. I'm going to send another overwhelming sense of how am I going to pay for this. And I think inside of that he's saying, here's this breakup. Come with me. Here's that crappy situation that's going on at home. Come here with me. Now, I'm not saying God is the starter of that. I'm just saying wrapped up in it, he is inviting you. I, I think of back, um, so Roman said that I gave my life to Christ in 2013. It was January 2nd, and I got invited to um, this conference. Um, but before that, um, I didn't, I wouldn't say I necessarily, like, I never actually claimed to follow Jesus. Uh, I went to church. I, I went to, on Easter and Christmas and different things like that. Um, but I lived in uh, just a little bit uh, more about me. Um, so athletically, that was my life. Um, my freshman year, my sophomore year, freshman year, I messed up my knee. Um, so my sophomore year, I have uh, knee surgery. Um, my junior year, I pulled my hamstring. My senior year, I pulled my hamstring. And so in that time, that was my life. Um, this is the only thing that made sense. It's the only thing that helped me get out of the, the crap that was going on. Uh, and then during all of that, in a four-year span, I was born and raised from Virginia. I'm not a Texas person. Um, I got heck for not liking Dr. Pepper today. Um, but I moved here in the, uh, the middle of eighth grade. Uh, in freshman year to senior year, I lived in eight different places. 
Um, and so I got to this place where I was a junior. I was like, I'm done. Like, I've heard these things about God. I've heard uh, that my mom was, a, she's a, she's, she prays. That's what she does. That's all, that's all I've really known about her is that she prays. Um, but she would always be like, God loves you. Like, he, he knows what's going on. He knows, like, he'll provide and he'll cover you everything that we need. And so I saw myself, and I, I was around people um, that didn't live the same way as me. And I had to see that. And so then I started to question, like, what? Like, if that's the God that everybody talks about, like, he's not helping me in my situation. Um, and so I got to this place where I was just like, I'm done. Uh, and I got to it, and I, I had it enough in me to be like, I hate you, Lord. Like, I don't like, like, I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with you. 2000, that was 2009. Um, from 2009 to 2013, I believe that God let a lot of things come my way to invite me. And, and it wasn't until January 2nd that I remember what made me come to know the Lord was realizing everything that I had done, everything that I had said, everything I thought about him, it was clear, and he knew it, and still he loved me. And still he invited me to be a part of his family. And so I know for a fact, it's my story, that he knows everything that I've done, and he knows the things I've said, um, the way I've thought about him, um, to get to a point of like, a bunch of just crap. He knows all that. And still he said, I love you. And still inside of that love, he said, well, I'm inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing. And so I said at the beginning of this, I don't know what you're good at. I don't know what um, God has made you to do. But I know he wants to use you. I know he has something good for you. And so tonight, I don't want this to even be about his judgment. Um, I do want to remind you that if you reject the things, or if you reject God, you're also rejecting the things of God. Um, I think tonight there could be a lot of people that God, I think, I believe that there's a lot of people that God wants to free from a lot of stuff and um, that some of you are asking, there's situations in your life and you really want to forgive people. You don't know how and I'm telling you tonight, like, don't reject that because he has it enough for you. There's enough forgiveness in that, but it, you can't reject God and get those things. I believe that there's a, a people in this room, but I also believe that there's people in this room. Actually, I believe there's more people in this room, and I think God is just inviting you into more. He's inviting you to be more of what he's doing in this city and more of what he's doing at these churches and more of what he's doing at SFA more of what he's doing in your family. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world and I think God is inviting us to be a part of the very thing that he's doing. And so I think this is, is, a, this is a call. This is God's invitation to us to just be a part of his, his vineyard and his kingdom. I think there's a couple ways that we can do that mentally. I think God wants us to have the king, he wants us to have a kingdom mindset. He 
mentally thinking about the kingdom of God? And how do we move that forward? But also, not only do you get to do that in your mind, but I think there's this part of our mind that works. And Satan is filling us with lies and thoughts and crap that goes against the kingdom of God. And so I think God is inviting you tonight to have a kingdom mindset of both the things that he's doing, but also the thing that's coming against what he's doing. And there's things in your life that Satan is trying to get you to realize and he's, he wants you to believe. And that has no place in the kingdom of God. Nor should it, if you have a kingdom mindset and you take the invitation tonight, it has no place in your mind. And so I think the, the first part, I think the main part is having a kingdom mindset. Whatever is going on, the mental battle, knowing that God has invited me into that. And so everything that the fiery darts that Satan is throwing at you, they have no place in your mind. So you reject them. But mentally, you're also thinking about the kingdom of God. And it's moving mentally, it's moving things in your mind. So you're loving people better. You're understanding your situations better. You're seeing yourself for who you are and who God has made you to be more than you ever have now. You don't need it from somebody else because you have a kingdom mindset. And then what happens is that produces a kingdom lifestyle. And I think that's the second thing that God is inviting us in is just a kingdom lifestyle. To live out the kingdom, to bring more heaven down to earth. It's just an invitation, y'all. And I hope that a lot of y'all would just say yes to it. Um, because I've seen it just in my own life where I have just realized the joys of that. Just being a part of what God is doing and just a small part of it. A small part of it. And I just want to encourage you tonight. You can be a part of it. Um, and so... I have one way that you can be a part of it. We have this thing called Wednesday night, and we call it Refuge. Um, junior high kids and high school kids, a lot of them don't have kingdom mindsets. And a lot of them aren't living kingdom lifestyles. So here's my invitation. Come join us to help that make, make that happen. But I know a lot of y'all are community group leaders, and a lot of y'all go to community group. And so there's places that people are not having kingdom mindsets and kingdom lifestyles. And you can be a part of that. We don't reject the thing, the God. We don't reject God, therefore we don't reject the things of God. And we start to have this kingdom mindset. What has happened to us doesn't have any power over us anymore. Um, what people have said about us is not who we look at ourselves as things that have happened to us, the things that we've done. And then what you get to do is you, you, when you start removing yourself from that, then you get to see it outwardly. You get to see it play out in the people around you. And you get to start talking to them. Man, like, God does not have that for you. But he does have this for you. And here's what I believe about God. Because I've seen him do a lot of things in my own life. And we start producing a lot of kingdom lifestyle people. And the more that we have that, the more that I think we have the kingdom of heaven here. 
sitting on earth, moving and doing what God always wanted us to do, what he always wanted Israel to do, represent him well, what he always wanted these people who were questioning Jesus' authority to represent him well, to do the things that God was doing, moving in the direction that God is moving. And so, um, yeah, tonight is an invitation to that. Uh, And so, Father God, I just come to you. I thank you so much for this night. God, I thank you that you have sent warnings to us, and you send them in different ways. I ask that you would continue to send warnings. But I pray for all of us that we wouldn't miss the warning, nor would we reject it. we don't want to be people that reject you nor do we want to be the thing reject the things that you have so I pray for every person in this room for the ones that have found themselves in a place and they're troubled they don't know where to go from here pray if they do if they don't do anything God that they wouldn't reject your voice and your call to repentance, so would you lead them in that spirit? God, and I thank you so much that you are good and you are gracious and you are full of love and this is inviting. So tonight, would you invite more people into the very thing that you were doing? Would you invite them for the first time to begin to think about the kingdom of God mentally, in their minds, God. Would you also build up people's confidence? Would you encourage people tonight? Would you challenge people to live a more kingdom lifestyle than they ever have? In a world that seems as broken, as it ever has. We want to be kingdom people. Moving your kingdom forward, God. So would you just be with us in this time? Bless us with your spirit. More kingdom, God. We want more of you. More of you. I thank you. Pray this all in Jesus' name.